0: Well, we're going to uh, get going on part two of uh, the series we started last week, Understanding the Judgment Seat. And, um, and I asked you to make sure you made it back this week, and I guess you did. Good job. Nobody thought, oh, judgment seat, I don't want to come. I'm glad you made it back. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and, uh, and we'll get started. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth of the word. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you release revelation. Help me to speak as an oracle today. Let me speak clearly, precisely, teach the word of God. I'm asking for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts, grip my heart, and draw us into revelation. I thank you for the sense of the presence of God we feel this morning, the breakthrough that we feel in the room. I thank you, God, that all things are possible with you. Everything is possible with you. So even this morning, while the word goes forth, I pray for power to be released for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be released. And draw us in to union with one another and with you. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for letting me declare, hold my hand, I pray. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen, amen. Okay, Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter five. I'm gonna give a little bit of a recap from last week in case you weren't here, and then uh, get into today's message. Uh, but last week, I did an introduction, an introductory message on the judgment seat of Christ, and basically talking about how the most important appointment that any of us have is still yet in front of us. It's still one that we are going to, to all have, and that's that appointment with Jesus. And, and so for believers, it's different than for unbelievers. And let me just clarify this if you're a believer, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've trusted his blood sacrifice, every sin in your life up to that pl- point is completely canceled. It's, it's washed away by the blood of Jesus. You are justified. You are sanctified. You are made holy and you are made right with God and you will spend eternity with Jesus. But the key is that you trust the work that he made on the that he did on the cross his dying for you his being raised again for you now if you've never made that decision i am strongly urging you today make that decision and and we're not trying to make a show of anybody but seriously if you need to give your life to jesus you can talk to any of us that are here any of the leaders any of the the, the ushers anybody that's here that that is a, in, in ministry and we will help you uh, make that decision, help you to pray that prayer to get give your life to Jesus. But for believers, for those that have made that decision, they're, they're serving Jesus, the Bible is absolutely clear that we, were, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us, we will look Jesus in the face, and he will review the works of our lives, and he will actually reward us I was thinking about Revelation 22, verse 12. It says, he says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. He desires to be generous and to reward the saints. He wants to bless us with eternal rewards. Now, I I just want you to get your mind on this. You are gonna live in this age, maybe 70 or 80 years, some a little less, some a little more. And the way that you live your life in this age determines how you will live for eternity. Now, it's definitely the where is an issue, of course, and that's about receiving Jesus or not. But the how is a critical issue. How you live now determines how you will live forever. But I want you to catch it. It's a very short period of time now. This age is very, very small. And the ages to come are infinitely long. A little faithfulness on this side is rewarded eternally. A little righteousness on this side is rewarded forever. And so Jesus is so generous. And the concept of the judgment is so generous He's coming and he's willing and ready to reward the saints. But at the same time, the scriptures are clear. He is not just generous, he is just. Amen. And so he not only will reward the saints, it actually says he will will, uh, return to us our works, either good or bad. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just recapping a little bit what, what we started with last week. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I, I can't emphasize this enough. This is one of the most important subjects of your entire life. How you live today will be memorialized eternally by eternal rewards. And this is not a small thing. It's not something that we can sidestep. And here's what I want you to understand, just recapping again, that the way that God looks at your life, the way that he works in your life today, he is far more interested in the eternal realities than he is in the temporal moments. He is looking far more at eternal rewards than he is at temporal comforts. And so often people get offended with God because their temporal moment, their temporal comfort, their, their, their momentary life is disrupted and they don't realize that God is trying to work in that moment to produce an everlasting reward. He says it's super clear that our momentary light afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, but it only works for us while we look at the things which are unseen. For the things that are unseen are eternal, but the things which are seen are temporary. And so often Christians, they get bogged down looking at the temporary. They look at the way their life is playing out day to day or week to week. And they're saying, man, God, it's so difficult. It's so hard. And he's saying, I am inviting you to an eternal, feast of rewards. I am inviting you to something that will last forever. Be faithful through the moment that you're given right now so I can bless you forever. And so often we are our lens, the lens that we look at life, it's just this momentary lens. It's not this eternal lens. We think about what can I get right here, right now for me in this time. And God's saying, no, 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 I don't, I, I'm not so much interested in the, the momentary for you, I'm interested in the eternal. And those are the things that we, that we emphasized last week. Uh, this week, what I want to talk about are specific areas of our life that God is going to, to really investigate and, and bring before us at the judgment seat of Christ you know, there's, there's a variety of, of things that we know that we'll be judged by, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, uh, but specifically this week, I want to talk about two different teachings that Jesus gave about the judgment seat and these two different topics that he honed in on, and one of them is our motives, and the other one is our faithfulness, our motives, and our faithfulness. So turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter six. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus he gives us real clarity on how the rewards of the age to come, how they're going to play out, and he gives us specific areas that the Lord is going to look at. Jesus his number one way that he motivated people was through eternal rewards. Some people say, well, you know, I just want to serve Jesus. I don't need any rewards. I just want him. And I appreciate that sentiment, but Jesus didn't come up with that sentiment. He came up with the idea that he wants to reward you according to your works. I appreciate that, that you just want Jesus and he just wants you and I appreciate that idea, but he actually wants to memorialize your righteousness in this age. And I know how it goes. We in the grace of God, we lean into God's grace and God enables us to do righteous acts. And, and by the end of it all, we look back and we go, There was no way I could have done that unless the Lord carried me through that. And, and just go, man, it was only grace that got me through that. And, and and then the Lord goes, Yeah, and you were awesome, and I'm gonna reward you for it. And you go, wait a minute. The grace is what carried me. He goes, I know, here, here's a crown. We go, wait, you are like really overdoing this. He goes, you leaned towards righteousness and I am gonna reward the lean of your heart. You pressed against unrighteousness and you pressed towards righteousness and I am going to bless you forever. So I totally get it that the grace of God enables us, but it's that decision of the heart to lean towards righteousness that he's looking at, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter six, let's look at this. Verse 1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 6, he uses that same phrase, the father who is in the secret place, he says he will reward you openly, openly. Now let's just be clear, this open reward that Jesus is talking about that's going to come from the Father, that is rewards, eternal rewards in the age to come. That's what this is. This is the rewards that we receive at the judgment seat of Christ. This is not, I swept the bathroom twice and nobody noticed, and now I'm going to get to sing on the worship team, glory to God. But that's a lot of the way that uh, people read this. They go, well, if I'm just privately, like, I'll pick up the trash, and in a minute, I'm going to be the manager of all the serving departments. It's just not how it is. You humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in this age, and he will exalt you in the age to come, okay? Too many people they think, well I'm going to humble myself before God a little bit now so I can get exalted in this age and that's not at all what he's promising. He's promising us humility and meekness this entire age and in the ages to come to be exalted with him, to sit on his throne and rule with him and to be rewarded with eternal rewards. Amen. So this passage is so intense. It's so good. The first thing he says is make sure when you do righteous works, you're not doing them in front of men to be seen by men. Don't do righteous actions for people to see you. And I think that the issue that he's dealing with here is something that's so pervasive. He's actually not dealing with whether you do the righteousness or not. He, he's dealing with What's your motive? What's the intention of your heart? He's dealing with the why behind the what. And what's stunning about this passage is you can actually do something that is righteous for the wrong reason and you will receive no reward. It's wild. The, the guy can do the righteous action with the wrong intention and the wrong motivation and he will receive his reward in full. And he dials it in. He, he actually uses the example of the Pharisees. So when the Pharisees would come to give, They would actually sound a ram's horn, and there would be a procession of the Pharisees, and they would go to give into the treasury, and the treasuries were made out of brass. They were kind of these these cylindrical kind of horn-shaped things, and you would put the money in, it would slide in. And so they would go in there, and they would would go in filled with coins in their hands. And they would sound these horns, so everybody would look, and then they would drop in the coins, and it would go sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. He says, don't be like them. Now, here's the thing, they're giving. They're actually giving money to the poor. He says, no, don't be like them because they are not giving with the right motive, with the right intention. They're giving to be seen by men. And man, when when that hits you, you realize, wow, there's a lot done in the church, to be seen by men. And I started thinking about it. You could be in your gift, you could be in your calling, and you could do the whole thing, the gifting and the calling of God. You could actually be in the middle of it and doing it to get men's (laughs) approval and men's praise, and the whole thing will get burned to the ground when we present it before the Lord at the judgment. I think we're gonna see a lot of that. Listen, I think we're gonna see a lot of that at the judgment seat. I think we're going to see known people, people with massive ministries, show up at the judgment with incredible skyscrapers of wood, hay, and straw. And when the fire touches it, it's going to turn into ash. And gonna go. what in the world? That guy was in his gifting. He was in his calling. I've never heard anybody do what that guy did. Amazing. And the Lord is going to go, the entire intention of his heart was to be seen by men and not for for the approval of heaven. So... Intense. You can do the righteous act with the wrong intention and receive your reward by getting men's approval, which just begs the question. Let's just think about this now. It begs the question, when we're saying we want to reach a lot of people. Why? Why? Because we love Jesus, for his glory, so that maybe that when you're reaching a lot of people, no one would know your name, and everyone would know his? Or are we wanting to reach a lot of people so that maybe one day I'll get on a platform with 100,000 in front of me? It it just begs the question. Like we really, really gotta think these things through. And I just think about even um, the modern ministry methods of trying to use, and and we have a media ministry, so just, just be clear, I'm not saying, oh, all media ministry is demonic or something, but why? Why all the media? Why all the social media? Why all the marketing? What is the point of this? Are we trying to push a ministry name? Are we trying to push an individual name? Are we trying to expand an, an individual's ministry sphere or are we trying to see the glory of Jesus revealed in the earth? And, and he's really clear. He says, if you do righteousness for men's approval, you will receive the applause of men and that will be your full reward. And it just got my attention because When you look at this, we see Pharisees sounding a horn, right, and giving and letting everybody in that day see it. And I thought, what would be a modern equivalent of that? It's when we do the video of us doing the ministry thing, putting it on social media for everybody to see it. Now, I'm not saying you can never do that. I do that. But the big issue, and this is, look, I'm preaching right here to Humphrey, okay? So just, but the big issue is why? Why are you doing that? Are you doing it for your name to get big? Do you want to get more followers for you? What are you doing? Are you doing it so the gospel will go forth and everybody will glorify Jesus? We've heard a prophecy that there'll be a nameless, faceless generation at the end of the age carrying the revival that the Lord wants to release. Well, I guess he's going to blow up Facebook. And our selfies delete all of our Instagram accounts. Because the key to being nameless and faceless is nobody knows your name or your face. And so I'm sitting there thinking about this, and I'm, I'm allowing the Lord just to, just to work my own heart. Why? Why are you doing this? And I'm convinced you can be in your calling, in your gifting. The Lord can even anoint the thing, because the anoint listen, the anointing that comes on a preacher or on a singer or on anybody, the anointing isn't for that individual. The anointing is for the people that are hearing it. <clears throat> If you feel an anointing coming off of my preaching or our worship or anything like that, that's not, that's not a, a, a stamp on me. That's because God wants to reach you. I still have to have right motives, be faithful, serve, give, be kind, love, do things in secret that are actually in line with what I proclaim publicly. I'm still gonna stand over the Lord and be judged according to my own works, not according to the anointing you felt. He's the one that pops the anointing. So you can actually be in your gift, in your calling, doing the right thing, and the actual reward of it is nothing if the intention is off. The motive. He says, don't be like them. He they wanna be honored by men. They wanna be noticed by men. Yeah. He says, they have the reward in full. Can you imagine in that day, the guy lays his whole life out before the Lord and the fire hits it, it's all ash. And he goes, what do you mean, Lord? He goes, oh, you got rewarded with all those followers. All those applauds, you got rewarded. But then he says this, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I, I, when I was younger, I said, how do I keep my, my left hand from knowing what my right hand is doing? What does that even mean? And I realized that in this passage, he's dealing with two things. First, he's dealing with the outward issue. I'm doing it for men's approval. Second, he deals with the inner issue. I'm keeping track of what I do so that I can then justify myself when I compare myself to others. I pay attention to all my righteous works and I sort of notch it, you know, notch down what I've done. And then when I see others that aren't quite measuring up, I say, see, I'm justified. I'm righteous. You know, they're barely righteous. Look at me. I've done way more than them. What's he dealing with? The outer issue and the inner issue. And see, what people do that is so unwise is they will actually look at their own righteousness. They'll actually keep score. Then they'll measure it up compared to a lot of other people. And they say, see, I did more than all of them. Publican and Pharisee, remember that parable? He goes, I, the Pharisee goes, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. I've done more than he has. Tax collector, mercy, mercy. What, had that, what was the problem with that Pharisee? He had paid attention. He'd let his left hand and his right hand know what the other one was doing. He was keeping a track, keeping an account internally. And then when it came to him standing at the judgment in front of another, uh, with another person, he was comparing himself to that other person and justifying himself before men and before God. But here's the problem. The standard isn't the other person. The standard is Jesus and there's none of us that are righteous, no not one. There's none good, there's none that seeks God and if I'm keeping track of all my righteousness and I'm sort of justifying myself based on what I think and what I deem to be righteous, I'm in direct opposition to what Jesus said. He goes, just give, just do it in secret and just bless. Said, and then the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I remember when I was a young man, I was just getting started in ministry. I actually hadn't. Uh, I wasn't full-time yet, I was in school, but I knew I wanted to do ministry, and so I was going to school in Atlanta, and uh, I, I noticed that I was walking through Woodruff Park, and in Woodruff Park, there was lots of homeless people, and so I started, you know, day in and day out, just kind of going in there and sharing the gospel, just meeting people, and, and then after a while, I realized, you know, it'd be good to get these guys some food, and so I started bringing them some food, and, and then after a while, you know, it was 15 or 20 guys, so I had to bring down, a, you know, a couple folks with me, help me to kind of, you know, feed these guys, and then after a while, we thought, hey, well, man, we should bring these guys to church, man. Let's do a service. And so we had an evening service on Sundays. And so I ended up getting several different people and they would, we would fill our cars up. And uh, I remember my wife, she had this giant old Ford LTD, glory to God, used to be a cop car. It's true, isn't it? My friend called it the Valdez because it leaked oil. Some of y'all will catch that. But uh, we would fill her car up. My little sweet wife, she's at that point, we weren't even married yet. She's like 20, I'm 20, 21. And, you know, she's driving, you know, round trip with, you know, eight homeless men or something crammed in her LTD. And, and I had my little Civic, and we crammed them in there. and We got another car, too. And we bring 15, 20 people to church. And, and after a while, I started thinking, man, I really wish the pastor would take notice of this. Like, why isn't he saying anything? Like, we're, like we're, we're praying with all these guys to get saved. I didn't know that they prayed every week to get saved at the different missions because if they got, if somebody would get, they told me later, if someone would go get saved, then they could eat. I was pouring out my life into these guys, sharing the gospel with them, trying to disciple them. They would just listen to me. They knew I was, they knew I was at least good for two meals a week, so they were real kind to me. And I remember thinking, my pastor, he just doesn't see it. We're winning. We're basically winning all the homeless people in Atlanta right now. And how's how he not see this? And, um, and he he would just never, he, he just never would say anything about it. He just, you know, he wouldn't even say good job. I mean, just, I was like, man, if he just noticed something. And then I remember we started doing testimonies and we would just let the guys give a testimony. The Lord had done something in our life and, And I remember this one night, this guy gets up and he gives this testimony and he is so excited to be in front of the crowd. He's just up there and he's just making jokes and it's just not really awesome actually. It's kind of horrible. And then he says that his life has changed. And then he says, and I just want to say that none of this would have happened without Billy Humphrey and he deserves all the praise and all the glory. Yeah, I know. Now, this really did happen. And I sat there, and he said that, and when he said that, I got the sickest feeling in the pit of my stomach. I thought I, thought I was going to actually go be sick. And I realized this inner thing, oh, I'd been doing this for man's approval, and I'd been keeping account of my righteous works, and that guy, when he said that, that was the entire reward of all of that homeless ministry that I was doing. and I look back on it now and I say thank you Jesus for giving me that experience when I'm 20 because I could have lived my whole life with those little inner judgments I'm really doing things I mean pastor he's just all he has to do is preach I mean I'm down there in the trenches serious I could have lived my whole life like that and been operating in my gifts doing leadership sharing the gospel and continually measuring myself against others and continually wondering, why am I not getting the, the approval that I should be getting? And Jesus addresses this heavily in Matthew 6, and I want to just say I'm so grateful that he arrested me at that age so I didn't live the rest of my life living that way. And beloved, this just brings us to this point right now that we, just, we really have to get serious and just say, God, judge me. Judge me right now so that I'm not judged then. Expose my heart right now. Expose my inner issues now. Expose all my self-righteousness now, all my inner judgments, all my lean to try to get men's approval and do things to try to get an attaboy. Expose all of it now so that I don't stand there and everything goes up in flames in front of you. Having lived an entire life operating in my gift and calling and actually doing it for my praise instead of yours. He goes, be careful. Don't do your righteous works before men to be seen by them, to be approved of by them. He goes, I say to you, the Pharisees did that. They had their reward in full. So our inner motives, our inner issues. And the second area is I wanna talk about faithfulness. Another, Another parable of Jesus, Matthew 25. You can flip on over there. Matthew 25, it comes in the teaching that Jesus did Called the Olivet Discourse. It's right there at the end of his life. He's pouring out some of the most, I mean, just the deepest drippings of his heart, some of the most important things. Matthew 24, he gives details about the end of the age. And in Matthew 25, he, he tells several parables and he ties them to the details of the end of the age. And so the, the the point is, the parables in Matthew 25, they go with his teaching about the end of the age and the age to come. And so now what he's gonna do is he's gonna begin to Teach them and instruct them he says Here, here's, here's what's going to happen when I come here's all the details here's what it's going to look like and then when I come, this is the way the judgment is going to go and so the parables that we see we, we see it with the, the the foolish and the wise virgins being ready for the lord's coming and then the very next parable is, is this one about the the talents. Now you know this parable if you've been in church any amount of time and, I, and so i'll just I'll just tell it to you really quickly there was this this rich, wealthy man, and he was getting ready to go to a far country, and and so he distributed his goods to three of his servants, and, and to one he gave five talents, to the one he gave two talents, and to the one he gave one talent, and, and what happened is while he was away, they were to take the, those talents, and they were to use them for the furtherance of that man's kingdom, and, and so the guy that had five, he created five more. He actually used the five to make five, and then the guy that was the two, he used the two to make two. But the guy with the one, he actually buried his. And he didn't have any return on that talent. And and he said to to the master, when the master returned, he said, I knew you were a hard man. And he said, I knew that you, you you have things come to you where you haven't even sown. And, And I was scared, basically. So I buried it. And what happens is, The master is upset with the guy with the one because at the very least, he could have minimally used the talent and and created at least a little bit of return, but he did nothing with his talent. And he receives a judgment from the master. Now let me just break this down for you. Talents are not gifts. Hear me. Talents are not gifts. Talent is an ancient measurement of weight. And so, a talent in the context speaks of money. And so, when he says he gave him five talents, he basically gave him five bags of gold. And the one guy got two bags of gold. And then the last guy got one bag of gold. And that finance, it's not about necessarily wealth or not, it's about opportunity. Because it says they received the talents based on their own ability. So let's just read it. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, look at this phrase, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. You see, the opportunities are knit to the giftings. The abilities represent the giftings. The talents or the the money represents the opportunities that God gives us in life. Does that make sense? He goes, I'm giving you five bags according to your abilities. In other words, I've given you gifts. There are abilities that you have. Now, according to your abilities, I'm going to give you opportunity. And what we don't realize is the master looks at the way he, 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 the way he reconciles the return is completely different than the way that we do it. Firstly, let me just make this point. God doesn't really care about how gifted you are because he's the one that gave you the gift. He handed you that gift. He's not wowed by your gift. Wow, you're an amazing singer. How did you do that? I had no idea that you would be an amazing singer. No, he He created you. And you got, somehow he put you in the singer line and then you got the gift. I wasn't in that line. I'm convinced I should have been in that line. I just wasn't. But some of you, I don't understand how. You're just so good at it. You don't even try. I mean, you open your mouth, and it's just like glory. And I open my mouth, and it sounds like a frog yodeling. And it is what it is. But since I was six or seven, you put me in a room with other boys, and you know what I start doing? Leading. I can't help it. Start bossing, really. It's not a leadership lesson. <laughs> but it took me a while to realize, oh, that's on board. That's, on, that's hardwired. I, I, can't, I can't help but start thinking, how do I lead this situation? And, and it, it took me a while to realize, oh, you're not supposed to lead in every single situation, dude. Sometimes just sit there and shut your mouth. And it, sometimes it takes a lot of grace <laughs> because I've got such an inclination to lead. Well, that's hardwired, God doesn't go, wow, you're a leader, whoa. <laughs> I remember one time, this is just a funny story. I remember one time I was sitting with a, a, a group of leaders and we were all gonna get prophetic ministry and there was you know, five or seven folks that were gonna prophesy to us and I leaned over to one of my buddies and I said, man, I need a w- real word from the Lord, like not one of these fake ones. Like I, I need a real one, I wanna hear from heaven. I mean, like I just really don't need to hear it one more time that I've got a leadership gift, I just don't. And the people didn't know us, so I thought, I'm gonna get one. I'm gonna get a real one. And I literally, I say that to my buddy, and then I turn around, they go, okay, we're gonna start, and they pray real fast. And then the first lady who I do not know, she looks right at me. She goes, you there? I say, yeah. She goes, the Lord wants me to tell you, you have a leadership gift. (laughs) I just went, you are so funny, Lord. The point he was making to me was, hey, buddy, I gave you the gift, quit despising it, and I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. Right now, you still need to know that I've given you this gift, that it's not yours, it's mine. I gave it to you, and I want you to be faithful with it. Okay, so here's what we have. The Lord gives us these opportunities in the grace of God. We receive opportunities to be faithful and obedient in connection to our ability or our gifts. People love to celebrate the most gifted. God loves to celebrate the most faithful. That's what this parable is about. God celebrates the most faithful. He doesn't care about the level of gift. And and let me illustrate how I know this. Because the guy with the five... He returns five, and the guy with the two returns two, and guess what? They get the same commendation from the master. Good and faithful servant enter in to the joy of the master. He says, you've been faithful with very few things. Now I will make you a ruler over many things. Do you see that? The natural gift wasn't the issue, it was the faithfulness and the reward comes on the basis of the faithfulness, not on how cool the gift was. Which then begs this point, so often people are looking at other people and their gift and they're trying to be the other person. And God doesn't want you to be the other person. He wants you to be you. You do what God has gifted you to do and be faithful with it. Just be faithful. And guess what? It doesn't matter if there's this bigger first, better, more. It doesn't matter any of that. None of that matters. Here's what matters. Were you faithful to the opportunities and the grace of God that he gave you? because you're not gonna stand next to the person with five and compare piles. You're gonna stand next to Jesus and he's gonna look at the intentions of your heart and whether or not you are faithful. And so often we make this massive mistake. I've been to more leadership conferences than you can imagine. I, I'm sure we'll have leadership conferences in the age to come, but really—I just doesn't feel like I need any more, really. Not that I've learned everything I need to know, but I've just been to these things so much And here's what we always do, we get the guy that's operating at a high level in his gift, in his grace, to tell us all how he did it and how we can do it. But let me tell you something, if that guy is a five operating at a level five in full faithfulness and there's an anointing and the thing is exploding, the level two guy will never be the level five guy. He won't, he's not supposed to. He needs to what? Stay in his lane and be faithful to what God has given him. And I'll tell you when it's gonna be shocking on the day of judgment, it will be shocking when the level five guy shows up and he's returned three and the level two guy shows up and he's returned two and all of us will look at the level five guy and go three, wow. And God will go, It's a minus two. And and we'll go, what do you mean? He did three, and God goes, no, it's a minus two. He actually wasn't faithful with the opportunities. And his gifts enabled him to get three. I gifted him at a level five. And then the two guy, who has two, he's returned less. But it's not about the numbers, it's about the faithfulness. He's been 100% faithful with a 100% return, And then this one gets rewarded greater than the one with the greater gift. Are you tracking me? This, beloved, is I I can't emphasize how critically important this is for all of us right now because we spend so much time comparing ourselves to the other person, and if I could just be this and do that, and if I had that opportunity, then I would really excel. Look, God is allowing that guy to excel to expose you He's seriously, he's letting that guy guy excel to expose your heart so that you will come under the calling, the grace, the gift that God has given you, and you'll be faithful with it and quit trying to be somebody else. I think it's so interesting. He said this, he says, you were faithful over a few things, I will make you faithful over many things. Faithful over a few things. I just quickly did this stat, so if it's off a little bit, then just forgive me. But I believe a talent of gold from that day would have a market value today of $6.5 million. So five talents is whatever that is, 32.5 million. So the guy that squandered the one, he actually squandered quite a bit. But what's so interesting to me is, Jesus looks at your little opportunity in this age with the grace and the gift that he's given you, and he says, it's just a few things. Well, what's it a few things compared to? Compared to the age to come. Compared to the ages to come. Compared to the reward that you're gonna receive if you're faithful with your few things. Listen, I don't care if you're a money manager over $500 million, I, I don't care if the sphere of your ministry is millions and millions and millions and millions compared to the ages to come. What God's made you a steward over right now, it's just a few things. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. I love what Paul says. Paul goes, he says this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4. I'll just, just take a side journey. He says this, he goes, I want you all to think of me as a servant. I'm a servant and I've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. He goes, don't think of me in any other way. Let a man think of me as a servant. That's what I do. And then he says this, and he goes, and if you guys are judging me, he goes, it doesn't really affect me. He goes, because I'm not even judging me, to be quite honest. He goes, I've got one judge and that's God. And I'm living for the day when I stand before him. Because in a minute, everything is gonna be laid bare before him. He goes, don't judge anything before it's time. He goes, I'm just a servant trying to be faithful with what God's given me, and then God will, he'll settle the account Then you guys can judge me if you want. He goes, it's not a good plan. But I'm just thinking about how this works in, in regard to this opportunities, gifts, the way we think of ourselves, our talents, the few things, the many things. And guess what? In this age, all of our entrustments, they're small. But the key issue isn't how grand you make it. The key issue is, were you faithful with it? And I know a lot of people that take it the exit ramp on the calling of God in their life because they want someone else's calling. They want someone else's gifts. I've seen this in ministry over the years. Guy is awesome at evangelism. He's just amazing at evangelism, but he sees this teacher guy blowing up. So the evangelist guy tries to teach and then you can't understand a word he's talking about because he's out of his lane. Beloved, be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in serving. Be faithful in speaking and giving your word. When you give your word, just do it. Be faithful by being on time. Amen. Oh, now. Now I'm on your toes. Okay. I felt that. Be faithful in giving. Just be faithful. You don't have to be the the biggest giver. Be the most faithful giver. Stay faithful with it. Just like clockwork. Week after week after week after week. Doesn't matter what the bills are doing. week Week after week after week after week. Just be faithful. Be faithful in your service. Don't care if anybody sees it. Who cares? God sees all of it. I'll tell you something. He sees all of it. He's looking at it all right now. Who cares if your manager never said out boy? Who cares? God is about to give you the biggest out of boy you've ever seen. Be faithful in, in the words you speak. He says, You're gonna give an account for every thought, every word, and every deed. He actually, Jesus actually said, every idle word that men may speak, he will give an account for it at judgment. Idle words. Some of you just really need to delete your social media because the number of idle words you've put online right now are crazy and you're gonna have to give an account for every one of those. Hear me. I don't, man, I'm not quick on the trigger on on Twitter or Facebook. Why? Because I'm going to give an account for it. Look, you might got a lot of likes. You might have stirred up a lot of comments. You might have really created a lot of page views. Who cares? In one half a second, Jesus is gonna hold that tweet up in front of you and go, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Every idle word. The secrets of men's hearts, he says, will be revealed. Every action. Beloved, this is real. This is real. It's about the intentions of your heart and your faithfulness in the small things. Your faithfulness when no one's looking. Your faithfulness when you don't care if anyone says thank you. That's what this is about. Making good with the grace of God and the opportunities he's given you. Let me just dial in on, on two points, and then we're done. First point, hypocrisy. I have to talk about it. Not because the world accuses the church of being hypocrites, because Jesus said it so many times. In fact, the word hypocrisy, it's a Greek word, it's hypocritis, it it, it just means an actor. It's the term they use for the actors of the day. And and what they did in those Greek theaters is they had these masks, and the actor would wear a mask, and and so this word hypocritis, it became synonymous with someone who is fake, someone who is acting. Now listen, that word shows up in the New Testament 20 times. Guess who said it every time? Jesus, every time. No one else even uses that word in the New Testament. Hypocrites. John the Baptist says, brood of vipers. Jesus says, hypocrites. And what's he talking about? He's talking about those that are, He, he is actually dealing with the Pharisees at the time, so he's talking about those that are actually doing righteous works and they're doing them with bad intentions, And he calls it out. He says, don't be a hypocrite. And beloved, I know, listen, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. We all mess up. We all goof up. The key to being a righteous man or woman is not that you're perfect. That's when you fall, you get up. A righteous man may fall seven times and he will continue to get up. You continue to lean towards righteousness. You continue to reject unrighteousness. When you sin, you repent. You call it what it is. It is sin. I don't want to live that way. I want to live for Jesus, fully living for Jesus in righteousness. So you say no to unrighteousness, yes to righteousness. When you fall, you get back up. That's what he calls righteous. Hypocrites, they fall and put the mask on. Praise God. Glory to God. Amen. And they act like they're righteous. He said, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Nice and washed on the outside and on the inside you got s- skeletons. That whitewash, whitewash, it wasn't, even, it, it wasn't even a good coat. If it rained on top of whitewash, it would just wash it all off. See, all the imperfections. He says, don't do your righteous works to get men's approval and don't do your righteous works. And and then when you're doing unrighteousness, fake like you're Mr. Righteous. Jesus called it out. Beloved, this is our good, kind, merciful Jesus and he wants to be so generous with all of us at the judgment seat, and I feel compelled by the Lord to call you to alert and to awareness and to warning on this point, but here's the thing. People will hear this truth, and then they will still go on living unfaithfully and unrighteously. Don't do that. Hypocrisy. Final thought. What do we do now? Well, we do the small things. We do them faithfully, without complaint, and without looking for men's approval. And we do them for the love of God. See, that was the issue in Matthew 6. They did it for men's approval instead of for the love of God. I've said this a lot, but we live by and for love. And when we live by the love of God and for the love of God, and we serve out of the love of God, then it's in that place that we actually find ourselves to be blameless before the Lord in the day that he he gives uh, rewards. Look at this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter three. You guys are still with me, yeah? I feel the Lord on this. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we do for you, so that he may, look at this, establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. He goes, I want you to abound in love so he can establish you blameless in holiness before the Father when Jesus comes. If you'll abound in love right now, you won't live for self If you'll abound in love right now, you won't have funky motives on the inside. If you'll abound in love right now, you won't play the hypocrite. You'll do your righteousness for love. You'll do it for love. You'll live for love. You'll pour yourself down out for love. You'll do everything for the love of God. The issue in Matthew 6 is they weren't doing the giving and the righteousness for the love of God. They were doing it for the praise of men. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 13, you know this passage. He says, I could give all of my goods to the poor and my body to be burned, but if I do not have love, it profits me. And Paul says, I'm, I'm praying for you that you would abound in love to, to everyone, to all people so that God can establish you blameless in holiness. Beloved, this is the core, core issue of our whole lives. We live holy because we come to know the love of God. And when you know the love of God, you don't want to forfeit that one inch, and so it compels you into holiness. And we pour ourselves out because of love, not to earn anything, not to prove anything, not for anybody's approval. We pour ourselves out because he loves us and he gave himself for us, so we love him and we give ourselves for others. This is it. This is it. We can all, think about this, all of us, we can all be blameless in holiness at the judgment seat of Christ. But the core issue, did you learn To love. Oh, beloved, this has to be the trajectory of our lives, or we're living for folly and fantasy. We're living for human approval and sandcastles that when the tide comes in, they're just gone. Yeah. Jesus. Let's just stand.